morning. Turn with me to John chapter 17. This morning we worship the Lord along the lines of the fact that he was a finisher. He was a finisher of what he started. We're going to talk about being a finisher. We're going to extend it in today's meeting. That's a nice way of saying something. There's a not so nice way of saying something. If we were to say the opposite of being a finisher, what would you think of? What word would you think of? Very good. That's the word I would think of. Quitter. That's not a nice word, is it? Call somebody a quitter. But I think we've all, at one time or another in our lives, quit doing something for some reason or another. I had the privilege and the opportunity to visit with TJ um, at the Naval Academy. And I had some free time that my work uh, granted me, and I wanted to go see him. And I wanted to be sensitive of his time because um, I know he was in finals. And so I, I phrased it in such a way that, you know, I'm going to be there if I see you, we'll see you, you know. And he said, well, when are you going to be there? Well, Thursday morning. I got some time free Thursday from 8 to 10. I said, oh, good, you know. Um, but even at that, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be sensitive of his time. But I wanted to let him know that we were thinking about him. And I remember how special it was when Gene Gibson came and visited me in Brazil and Sandra, and how encouraging it was. But as I was going to meet him, of course, I wanted to find where I was going to meet him the day before so I wouldn't miss it, you know, on time. So we were walking around, and I, and I read this plaque out in front of the Naval Academy. I want to read it to you. It's the mission statement, or the mission of the Naval Academy. The mission of the Naval Academy is to develop midshipmen morally, mentally, and physically, and to imbue them with the highest ideals of duty, honor, and loyalty in order to graduate leaders who are dedicated to a career of naval service and have potential for future development in mind and character to assume the highest responsibilities of command, citizenship, and government. That's quite a tall task, isn't it? And as I talked to TJ, he was telling me some of the rules they have to follow the first year. Amazing, the amount of rules that you have to remember and follow. And he said, you know, Eric, he says, the academy really is all about leadership. It's about raising leaders. And the first year is all about learning to obey orders without question. And a, lot of the, a lot of the orders, they have reasons, but they didn't necessarily know, know, know the reason at the time. But following orders, you know. And, you know, when I do something like this that I have experienced, like, it really draws my mind to spiritual illustrations. I wonder what the mission statement of the Lord Jesus Christ would be in the spiritual area, in the kingdom of God. Because I noticed there was, it wasn't the word spiritually in there. Morally, yes, right? But spiritually, what would the Lord's mission statement be in regards to us? It's really the same, it parallels the Lord is in the business of building character. Character. And one, one thing a Christian needs to learn right off the bat is how to follow orders from the Lord Jesus Christ without question. And we live in a day and age where there's a lot of questioning going on. Why should I do that? How can I can't do it differently? I went to Fresno and I was training, training in that Jump Start program. I was doing some pre-apprenticeship training to a group of individuals that have been out of, out of work for anywhere from six months to Six years. And the government decided to, 
try to vet some of these people and channel them into an opportunity to uh, audition with one of seven trades. And so I was just going there to present. And you would not believe how much of an idea these individuals that haven't worked in who knows how long have the way it should be done and what we should be doing and how we should be offering them this and offering them that. And I, I had to talk to them. Do you know what entitlement, the word entitlement means? Because I sure perceive that here in this crowd. Rather than, hey, what do I need to do? You know? Well, for all that the Lord has done for us, following his directions without question should go without question. should be automatic. And yet oftentimes Christians don't do that. Christians don't do that. And oftentimes we see Christians quitting. Quitting at what the Lord has called them to do. And so we're going to talk about quitters. And I want to put myself right up front. Because I don't know if you know this or not. But before I got saved, that was a chief character of my life. I was a quitter. And I'll share some of the things I quit from. Opportunities gone by. But it's all under the bridge now that I'm saved and I know the Lord Jesus Christ. The consequences of those decisions are minimum. Minimal. The Lord Jesus Christ was a finisher. Think of where we would be if he wasn't. We quit things, oftentimes, for the wrong reasons. He could have not accomplished the work of our salvation, and it wouldn't have taken away from his sterling character in the slightest. He did not have to go to the cross. He did not have to do that work. But he took it upon himself to initiate and to finish the work. It says in John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. What is more important than eternal life? You see, we're going to talk about this. There are some things that we can quit that have very little consequences. There are some things that we can quit that have very far-reaching consequences. And there are some things that can be quit that have eternal consequences. So there's a scale there. Eternal life. Forever. That's eternal consequence. Knowing Jesus is having eternal life. That's eternal life. To know him, to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to not know him is to not have that life. Jesus said, I have glorified you you on earth. He said that to the Father. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Finished the work. What was the work that Jesus came to do? He came and he lived among his creatures. When you see Jesus, you see God. God, God that can't be seen, can be seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he like? What's important to him? How is his love demonstrated? He came to bear our sins on the cross at Calvary, to be punished in our place so that we might be given that life with God. He says, that he has a baptism to be baptized with and how he is straightened until it is accomplished. That was his goal. That was his burning desire to finish the work the Father gave for him. 
And there were some very nice additions to the devotion this morning. I like what Gary said. A finished work, an eternal work. Our work oftentimes has to be redone. That will never be redone. Done for all eternity. Praise the Lord for that. And when he had been crucified, his last words, it is finished. It is finished. He finished the work at Calvary. So that we might be granted eternal life as a free gift. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that eternal life? The Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? There's many people walking this earth that believe, oh yeah, I know the Lord. Oh, I'm saved. And yet they don't. They don't. They don't know him. Jesus was not a quitter. He was a finisher. He was a finisher. And yet he has decided to continue his work through us, through sinful individuals that oftentimes do quit, that oftentimes don't finish what he has them start. And sometimes eternal consequences. What makes a person not continue? We have a story of some people that didn't continue in John chapter 6. The story, if you remember, Jesus fed 5,000 individuals with, uh, by a miracle. He was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he fed all these people with a few loaves and a few fish from a boy's lunch, I believe. He ended up having 12 baskets left over. And they wanted to make him king by force. Why? Well, here's one that could feed the whole world. Here's the one we don't have to work for a living. We can just have him take care of our needs. There might have been several reasons, but he hid himself, himself from them, went up on the mountain, and afterwards... The disciples took off for Capernaum in their boat. Jesus walked on water. They were afraid. They received him into the boat, and at that moment he arrived at Capernaum. Well, these people that wanted to make him king by force, they realized he'd gone, and so they went looking for him, and they went to Capernaum. And Jesus um, saw that they came after him. And he had a talk with them. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs. It wasn't because of the miracles, but because you ate the loaves. They got their hunger satisfied and were filled. And then he says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the Father has set his seal on him. What was the work they were doing? They were after free food. So they rode quite a ways to get the free food. They worked to get free food. And Jesus said, you should put more emphasis on putting some effort into the real food, which is eternal life. And it makes me think of people that say they want to go to heaven. They say they want eternal life, but somehow coming to hear the word regularly is too hard for them. Somehow going to work is easier And they're working for food they get from their salary rather than real food that the Lord Jesus Christ can give. This is the work of... They said, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform that we may eat, see it, and believe you? 
What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread. I am the bread. They wanted physical bread. He wanted to give them true bread. True bread. The bread of life after which you will not experience hunger. You will not experience thirst. Do you know that? Do you know that? As I look at people, I wonder, is that person happy? Is that person satisfied? Sometimes people give facial expressions that would say, no, they're not. (laughs) And sometimes, yes, they are. If you look in the mirror, would you say you're happy? Would you say that your hunger has been satisfied? Would you say that your thirst has been quenched? In an everlasting way. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? They had no idea what he was talking about. No idea. See, they weren't believing. Did he make it easier for them or harder for them? Do you remember the story? Let's turn there. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. That bread didn't do too much in the long run, did it? This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. If anything would perk somebody's curiosity, I think that would be it. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. How's that sound to you? Do you know what Jesus is talking about when he says that? The Jews therefore quarrel among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. What do you think about that? Doesn't sound too appealing, does it? If you take it literally. The question is, is he meaning it literally, and why why is he making it hard for these individuals? See, he's looking in their heart and he sees disbelief. And he's not going to make it easier for a person that doesn't believe the simple. He'll make it harder. But he does explain himself. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your father ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And you might agree with them. 
When Jesus knew in himself that disciples complained about this, notice they were called disciples. They followed the Lord Jesus Christ, but they didn't know him. Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. He said, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning which ones those were. He says, I'm talking spiritually here. Not of flesh. I'm not talking about flesh and bones. I'm talking spiritually. So what does it mean to eat the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ and drink his blood spiritually? It means that have eternal life. You have to take the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. You have to receive him as your Lord and Savior. He has to be the one source of life to you. You can't put anything closer to you. I mean, I can put this... Bible close to me, but it's never closer than if I eat it. Then it's in me. (laughs) So there's the spiritual description of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so close to your heart, he cannot be closer. And yet they didn't understand it. It says in verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. (laughs) That was too hard for him. Too difficult, they quit. They quit. What what do you think the Lord Jesus Christ would do? They just up and left. He didn't make it easy for them. He didn't explain it beyond that. He just let them leave. Just let them leave. And what's even more surprising, he says, "From uh, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? There's only twelve left. You want to go away too? Jesus wasn't begging for followers. He was looking to them, are you going to quit too? That's Jesus' position or posture before quitters. Jesus wasn't a quitter. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? Other than the, the one, well, obviously Judas. One of them was a devil, he says. So there were those that, it was too hard to follow Jesus. They didn't understand everything that he said. And they decided, you know, this is just too hard. Let's just, let's go, let's quit. And they quit. And Jesus turns to the disciples and says, you want to go too? He's not begging for followers. He's done the work. He's finished the great work. He offers eternal life as a free gift. And when somebody turns their nose up at it, he sometimes doesn't offer again. It's really a sin against God. But the disciples, Peter, must have been filled with the Holy Spirit. To whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we know that he accomplished salvation. He finished the work. Where are we going to go? To the world? Are we going to find satisfaction there? To some group of disgruntled Christians that spend their time complaining about everything? What's that going to get us? He has the words of eternal life. To whom will we go? Quitters. They were quitters. You know, and, and I have to 
you know, as I think back in my Christian life, you know, I, I have to say, first of all, if there's anybody that has quitting in their heart, it's me. I can remember so many things I quit before I was saved. Some of the things I quit after I was saved. I'm so grateful the Lord's not a quitter. But like I said, some things, little consequences. Some things, weighty consequences. Some things, eternal consequences. When I got saved, my mom thought, well, yeah, he's always doing crazy stuff. This will pass. He'll quit that like he quit some of the other things. You know, that was 1981. So, praise the Lord, it must not have been me doing it or I would have quit. Right? It was the Lord. He accomplished its work. It's to the end. It's to finish. But I know a lot of people that have quit. People that have professed to be Christians that have just quit Christianity altogether. Some people can become apostates. Other people, they might not quit, quote, Christ or following Christ. They just quit the fellowship and go follow them somewhere else. And if you look them up later on, you'll find out they're not even doing that. And sometimes the people that quit, that leave the fellowship, they can rock your world. The fact that they left can rock your world. And so, you know, I want to think about that. Um, I have some examples before me of people that haven't quit right up to the end. And that's the examples I want to follow. I think of Bill McDonald. He never quit. Gene Gibson. I remember his, the saying that I always remember, he said he wanted to die in the saddle. In other words, I don't want to quit. I want to be taken out in action. <laughs> what an example. And for every one example I could lift up, I can think at least five that haven't. Some people that really have rocked my world, like how could that person that taught me not to quit, quit? You know, I hate to embarrass Howard here this morning. Well, actually, I don't hate it. That's not true. <laughs> if one thing that stands out more than anything else that I admire about Howard is he's not a quitter. There's times that I've expected him to quit, and I wouldn't have never called it quit. Quitting. He keeps going. He's like that energizing bunny or whatever they call that. <laughs> It's like somebody put more batteries in him. He keeps going. What an example to me, Howard. And I think of Don Robertson. Those are the two original uh, from the church planning team, those two families right there. And I have the privilege of working with them. But Don, when I get close to him and he shares some of the experiences, all that he's gone through, I have to say, I don't know if I would have kept going. He keeps going. He keeps going. You know, I think of Joshua. If you remember the story of Joshua, before he went into the promised land, um, in Joshua 1, the Lord says, be courageous. Do not be afraid. And he says, do not, the word in the NIV is do not be discouraged. Why would Joshua be discouraged? Well, when you think about it, who was supposed to lead the people into the promised land? It was Moses. Moses wasn't there. He didn't quit, but the Lord took him off the scene. Why was that? It was disobedience. He disobeyed God. And so Joshua might have been discouraged by thinking, wow, now it's all on me. <laughs> and what did he need? The Lord gave him exactly what he needed. He saw someone on the other side. And he asked, is it friend or foe? And who it was was the Lord of hosts. He says, take off your sandals from your feet. This is holy ground. 
I have come as the Lord of hosts. Vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the leader. It wasn't going to be Moses. It was going to be a direct connection to the Lord. The Lord of hosts. And when somebody has the Lord before him, they needn't rely on their own strength, their own resolve not to quit. It's going to be the Lord behind them. Uh, I, I, I want to save that part for later. Quit, 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 quit. When I, when I went there to see what TJ was doing, you know, I, it was flashbacks to my past because when I was in high school, you know, I did an aviation class. I passed private pilots written, and somebody said, you should apply for the academy. You know, my mom was pushing for that. The Air Force of the Navy so you can fly. And I found out, and TJ clarified this for me, uh, that each, I think each congressman or senator has like five people they can have the academy at one time. And then the vice president gets their nominations. And I thought, there's no senator or congressman or vice president going to pick me out of all the people that want to go there. So I didn't even try, you know. But TJ told me this. He says, you know, he says they know what they're looking for. And when they see it, they'll make sure that person gets in. I go, really? He says, yeah, if the congressman's got all their slots filled, they got a list they give to the vice president. They say, here, sign this. And he does. And it's more than the five. You know, so if they want you, they'll get you. Wow, if I knew that then, maybe I would have applied, you know. But uh, I, I said to my friend, Chris, I said, Chris, do you ever think that maybe times of opportunities for us, our age, are gone? And I was thinking in a worldly sense. And now it's time for the future generations and our task is to help them along, make good decisions, take advantage of opportunities. And I'm thinking eternal opportunities, you know. Quitting, quitting. One thing I learned, and this verse really speaks to me about it. Um, I quit one year water polo. I played water polo and I was a diver, and I was an All-American diver, so I was varsity my, my freshman year. And so I had this over-inflated idea of myself that somehow I was important. you know. And the coach wanted me to do something that I didn't want to do. We got a little tussle, and I'm, well, I'm going to quit if I have to do that. And you know what he said? Go ahead. Oh, my bluff, you know. So I quit water polo. I didn't want to quit diving because I enjoyed that. Water polo, you know, it was fun, but it was more work. You know, and I learned something. The team went on without me. I learned, that's when I learned, and it stuck with me all these years, nobody is indispensable. If you quit something, rest assured the world's going to go on without you. It's going to pass you by. And you're going to wonder, wow, I wish I was back there. But there's one, thing, there's one thing more, is when you quit something, you could lose reward for it. When I was a senior, they pick athlete of the year, and I was the one that was slated to get it, and everybody voted that I would get it, and so they went back and did a check. And my coach told me this. They found out that I quit that one, court, that one semester, I quit water polo out of all the years of high school, and because I quit, that disqualified me. No reward, no medal. No recognition. And I wasn't into recognition, so I was so snooty that I didn't really care anyway. But my point is that when you quit something, one, you're going to learn you're not indispensable. The little world's going to go on without you. And guess what? Somebody else is going to get the reward. And that's how it is in the spiritual life. You know, if you quit, the Lord's going to let you quit. He's going to, you want to go too? Go ahead. He's not begging anybody. 
to be in service for him. It's all voluntary based on love and appreciation for his love and what he's done for us. And there's so many people that are so reluctant to get involved in the work of the Lord. No, I don't want to do that. Well, TJ's learned in his first year that you don't say that. <laughs> it's yes, sir. Whatever you want, sir. You know? And we should say that to the Lord. Loss of reward. Like I said, that the consequences of quitting that were small. No big deal. Served as an illustration. But there's consequences to quitting something else that are far more reaching and far uh, more damaging in a, in a longer range. And I'm thinking of marriage. Marriage. There are a lot of people these days that are quitting on marriage. They're just giving up. You know, They give a vow. They take a vow before friends and family, before God. And somehow that vow gets forgotten, minimized. You know, the conditions are attached after the fact. Oh, that was before I knew this, and that was before I knew that. And really what it is, it's quitting. And when somebody that we know and love proceeds down that path, it rocks our world. We're concerned because we know it's far-reaching and it's damaging. We live in a day and age where quitting is made easy. It's even acceptable. But don't think it doesn't affect others. I think of our kids. The example is what we give. The risk of divorce is 50% higher when one spouse comes from a divorced home. That means if my parents divorced and I marry somebody that their parents didn't divorce, my kids are going to have 50% more chance of getting divorced than people come from two families that never have gone through divorce. If both of them come from families that were divorced, the mother and the father, 200%. And the scary thing is about 50%, what does it say? It says children of divorce are also 50% more likely to marry another child of divorce. So if my parents have divorced, I'm 50% more likely to marry a child from a divorced parent family. Which means now together, our children have 200% more risk of getting divorced. See, it just doesn't affect us. When you quit at something like that, it's far-reaching. It affects friends, families, children. And I, I remember a song that, I can only remember the first few words of this song, but they say everything. Sandra and I, when we got married, I realized one thing. And we had Dave Crotzer sing this song by Don Francisco. And it started off with these words. I can't remember the rest, but you'll get the gist of it. I can never promise you on just my strength alone. That was at my wedding. When I made those vows, I wasn't making them on just my strength. I can have all the resolve, all the determination to be faithful till death do us part. But if it's in my strength, it could fail. I get to the point where I want to quit. But if it's God behind me, He's not a quitter. And he doesn't want us to be quitters. So those, that's, that's an example of um, far-reaching consequences. Not necessarily eternal. But there are other uh, things that we can quit that have eternal consequences. One of them is evangelism. We can quit. I mean, you don't have to determine I'm going to quit doing this. You could just sort of Work your way into it. 
You could just sort of neglect it to the point that what you're doing and what the person that determined to quit doing that is the same. No consciousness isn't to quit. I just stopped doing it. When was the last time you met a stranger and witnessed to him? Let me tell you a story. Show you how important it can be. You never know how important it is because we don't look at things from eternity. We think, see things from our perspective. God looks at eternity. He sees things from his perspective. This is a story of Roger Sims. He was hitchhiking home when he was picked up by Mr. Hanover. As they drove towards Chicago, Roger felt God urging him to share his faith. Have you ever had that feeling? I have. When he overcame his fear and asked the man if he would like to receive Christ, now I'm taking it for granted he shared the gospel first, Mr. Hanover stopped, bowed his head on the steering wheel, and began to cry and accepted Christ. This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, he said. Wow. He didn't quit, did he? That, that Roger Sims overcame his fear, shared Christ, and this Mr. Hanover accepted the Lord. Shortly afterwards, he dropped Roger at his house and went on to Chicago, which was about an hour down the road. Years later, while preparing for a business trip to Chicago, Roger came across the Golden Boss business card Mr. Hanover had given him years earlier. When he arrived in Chicago, he decided to look up Hanover Enterprises and found it located in the skyscraper downtown. When he asked the receptionist if he could see Mr. Hanover, she said, no, but his wife's here. She said, you knew my husband? The woman in her 50s asked Roger. Roger explained that her husband had given him a ride and how he'd led him to Christ. When was that? She asked. May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the army. And she began to sob. After several minutes, she regained control and said, I prayed for my husband's salvation for years, believing God would save him. But right after he let, right after he let you out of his car on May 7th, he was killed in a head-on collision. I thought, I thought God had not answered my prayer, and I stopped living for him five years ago. That day, she recommitted her life to Christ. We ought not to give up. Being sensitive to God and His Spirit. Sharing Christ. We never know the far-reaching effects it can have. Not only for eternity, but for the presence going into eternity. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, oftentimes we're given a task that seems difficult and daunting. You know, I know we've experienced some discouragement these days with people leaving and things beyond our control. But often, God oftentimes lets that happen for various reasons and we ought not to give up. Florence Chadwick, noted for swimming the English Channel in both directions, decided to swim the 21-mile stretch of icy water between Catalina Island off the coast of California. It had never been done by a woman, and at age 34, she was determined to be the first. The chosen date was the 4th of July, 1952, a holiday, and much of the country was watching on television. At several points during the swim, rifles had to be blasted over the waves to fend off the sharks. 
After nearly 16 hours in the water, she complained of numbness. She squinted to see the shore, but the fog reduced her visibility to almost zero. She called out to her mother and her trainer in the rescue boat that she couldn't go on. They encouraged her to continue. But when she looked to where she thought the shore was, where the shore should be, she could see nothing. She gave up and was pulled out of the water. Imagine how she felt when she discovered that she was only a half a mile from the shore. She knew physically she could have done it. Later she told reporters she wasn't making excuses for her failure, but if I, could, if I only could have seen the land, I could have made it. She was right. <laughs> see, oftentimes as Christians, we can't see what's ahead. We could be a half a mile from a 16-mile journey and give up when the Lord's encouraging us to keep going. Keep, he knows what's there. He knows how far it is. And we give up. But she was right. And a few weeks later, a few weeks later she attempted the same swim under the same foggy conditions and finished the race in record time. Not only did she become the first woman to complete the icy stretch, but she beat the men's record by two hours. <laughs> she knew she could do it. We don't have to know we can do something. We just have to listen to the Lord. If he says we can do it, we can do it. I remember when I was a diver, there was a difficult dive as a forward three and a half off a one meter board. And I really, um, my, the coach at Chabot was a Christian and he was witnessing to me often and I, I, I just didn't get it. You know, just didn't get it. But I know that he was concerned and I wanted to honor him for some reason. I don't know what it was. I didn't have that kind of thing in me at all, but I wanted to honor him. So I asked him, his name was Mr. Peak. Mr. Peak, can I do a three and a half off the one meter board? Yes. You think I can do it? Yes. I said, will you help me? He said, yes. He says, I'll double bounce you and I'll call you out. So I just set myself up into a spin, speed talk, and he'd call me out. When you're spinning that hard, it, that fast, it's hard for you to realize when you should open up. And if you open up at the wrong minute, it could hurt, right? So he did. You see, I wanted to honor him. If you say I can do it, I can do it. Will you help me? Yes. And that's how it is with the Lord. Lord, if you want me to do something, then I know you'll give me the ability to do it. You'll help me to do it. It's not whether I can do it in my own strength. It's whether the Lord is behind it. So there are certain things we know he's behind. We know he's behind. We know he's behind the salvation of souls. We know he wants to use us. He, we know he wants us never to stop seeking the lost. We're on the front lines. You know, realize it or not, if you're on the front lines, you're a target of the enemy. And when we see the enemy attack, we must be doing something right. Otherwise, he wouldn't bother. He doesn't waste his ammunition. So we could take, should take courage. You know, and, and, and sometimes, sometimes people do need encouragement. You know, and you never know it. You never know it. I want to tell this story. The power of encouragement. You see somebody discouraged, we should seek to encourage them. The students at Stanley or Sandy High School, remember Sandy High School? Were badly shaken at the news that a classmate had killed himself. The suicide note said, it's hard to live when nobody cares if you die. Sad. Glenn, a teacher, realized this was a teachable moment about the importance of making people feel valued. 
He asked the classmates to imagine they were about to die and to write a note telling someone how and why you appreciate them. Sandy, who had a rocky relationship with her mother, decided to write her mom. Her letter said, We have had some rough times, and I haven't always been a very good daughter. But I know I'm lucky to have you in my life. You are the best person I have ever known. And even when I disagree with you, I never doubt you love me and want what's best for me. Thank you for not giving up on me. When her her mom read the note, she cried and hugged Sandy, Sandy tightly, but said little. The next morning, Sandy found a note on her mirror. Dearest Sandy, I want you to know that being your mother is by far the most most important thing in my life. Until I got your note, I had thought I had lost your love and respect. I felt like such a failure. I intended to end it all last night. Your note saved my life. Encouragement. It's important. It's important. Jesus said, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. There's still souls to bring in to the kingdom of God. There's a battle for souls and we're in the midst of it. Don't give up. We might be a half an hour from the shore. The Lord wants to do a great work through us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much that you've are a finisher, that you never gave up. And we are so grateful that you haven't given up on us, that you still want to use us. So we pray, Lord, that you would give us your spirit, the spirit of a finisher, and help us to continue in the work, depending on you for strength and guidance, knowing that you will never have us do something that we're not, that you don't also give us the ability to do. We ask it in your name. Amen.